All right, guys, we're here on episode two of Mile Zero Confessions, and I have a great friend of mine, Jeff Harris, here with me today, the Key West Cowboy. Thank you. Hello, hello. Good morning, Cheryl. <laughs> Good morning, Jeff. So, Jeff, it's been a fun week, right? It has been a pretty fun week with um, the Mile Zero Music Festival in town with the Texas Red Dirt country music fans and artists. I mean, that's my kind of music. That's what I personally listen to. That's what I love. So I was right in my wheelhouse this week. That's why I thought it would be a good week to bring you on because we're in between Mile Zero Fest and uh, Songwriters Fest and right now. Songwriters so. as well. You know, that's that's two weeks in a row for me. That's back to back. And I've been a part of the Songwriters Festival for years now. And mm -hmm. it's always a great chance to see a bunch of Nashville old friends and some new talent come down to hear some new music. I mean, I love songwriters. I love being a songwriter myself. It's a, it's a really wonderful gift, I will say. Yeah, it's been... Uh, <clears throat> Songwriters is personally one of my favorite. Yeah. Um, Mile Zero, I don't know much about, what is it, Red Dirt? Texas Red Dirt yeah. music. It's kind of a, it's a, an eclectic group of people that are just Texas diehards. And mm -hmm. um, for me, I love it because it's more the traditional kind of country mm -hmm. that, that I grew up in love. And it's just the kind of country music that I write versus a lot of the stuff that's coming out of Nashville nowadays. It's a little more produced and on the poppy side where Texas Red Dirts. It's about as true to the fashion as you get. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I did notice the other day that um, actually a friend pointed out to me yesterday that Key West made Rolling Stone magazine for Mile Zero Fest. Did we? Yeah. Because nice. uh, apparently it's the first music fest to continue to go on since back. COVID. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is a great two week period down here for for music. I mean, especially country music fans. But if you're just a fan of music or songwriting in general, this is an amazing time to be down at Key West. Yeah, we um, I know that there's already been some celebrity sightings. So they had what Old Dominion performed, I think. I think what is it? Yeah. Tuesday mm -hmm. night. And then Lee Bryce was on stage at Sunset Pier last night. Yes. And apparently Kenny's in town. Kenny Chesney's in town. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> I mean, you know, both Old Dominion and, and Lee, you know, they've been around a while. I mean, I've known Lee for, for years, and he's a, he's a great guy. And I don't know the guys from Old Dominion personally, but mm -hmm. Kenny, as you know as well as I do, just pops up in town. You just never know when, you know, he, he's going to be sitting at a bar somewhere drinking a beer, and people look at and go, hey, there's Kenny Chesney. Yeah, actually, Kenny was one of the first celebrities I met down here right after Hurricane Irma. Um, I was working at Dante's Pool Bar at the time, and right. Kenny's yacht was parked right outside, and he used to come in with his crew and um, have lunch every day. And he, uh, so one of the first times he came in, I called Pete up and said, hey, bring the boys over. Right. Kenny's here. And it was on a Saturday, and the boys were coming from a football game. And uh, they were still decked out in their pads and everything. And they walked in and Kenny met them, talked to them about playing football because, you know, Kenny loves football. Yeah, he's a football fan, sure. <laughs> so, and a year later, I ran into him down on Duval Street and he remembered the boys. He said, oh, you have the boys that play football. I've met them at Dante's. And That's nice so. to hear, you know. I mean, I think Kenny, I mean, obviously, as locals, we know when he's here because we see his boat in the harbor. Yeah, that's how we know. You can't mistake his boat either. Right. Um, but I think Kenny 
and a lot of other celebrities when they come to town as locals, we have a tendency we leave them kind of alone. Mm-hmm. We don't point them out in a crowd or mm-hmm. or make a spectacle of them because I mean, just anybody else, they deserve a vacation. Yeah. If they want people to know they're here, let them make that choice to let them know they're here and not so much us. You know, we've had a lot of people, including Kenny, come into my show. That, yeah. You know, that I don't point out. I just, I might smile and wink at them or nod at them and then mm-hmm. that's it. You know, they want to be seen. That's their choice, not mine. Yeah. yeah. That's good advice. <laughs> yeah. You know, they deserve a private life, too. So who's your favorite celebrity that you've met? You know, I've met a lot of different people over my life and my career. Um, The one that really sticks out in my mind is the only time I was ever starstruck in my life was when I met my personal hero, um, George Jones. Really? And... um, I was living in Nashville. I was backstage at the Waffle Saloon. He was doing a show. And um, and lo and behold, you know, in walks George Jones and he just walked right up to me. And just as he, I was surprised. He was a very small man. He wasn't very tall. Mm-hmm. And his hair was perfect. <laughs> it looked like Teflon. Like it was iron. He could have been in a hurricane. That hair would not have yeah. And he just walked up and went, I'm George. And I just went, <laughs> <laughs> and he just kind of looked at me like, this man is insane. Get him away from me. I don't want to be anywhere near this man. And he turned and walked away. And I was just like, I could come back. Just like, I was really starstruck. Yeah. Um, so that's probably the biggest celebrity introduction I ever had. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the other people I've met in my life have just been really casual where we'd rather just sit down and have a cup of coffee and, and talk about our family or our life or our house or our kids or something. I mean, music may come up, but we all talk about music so much in our life. Sometimes we like to, talk about fishing yeah <laughs> or you know yeah you going on vacation you've been anywhere cool lately if you'd recommend that kind of stuff that's a quite a celebrity to meet <laughs> so i love george jones he's amazing he's always <laughs> been just number one for yeah me. and um you know it's just my personal opinion but i i'm just a diehard george jones fan yeah still but there's a lot of people out there that i like and respect and, you know yeah. and i still look up to it you know, a lot of people mentored me during my career and, and helped on the way and give me mm-hmm. a piece of advice. And, and I'm really happy about it. I mean, that's more or less how I wound up in Key West. That was actually going to be my next question is, how'd you end up here? <laughs> I was living in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked at a radio station in Nashville, the, the biggest country station in the United States at that point in time, WSIX. Mm-hmm. And I was still writing songs, and I was still new in my my songwriting, my career. And um, I got hooked up with ASCAP, which is a songwriting um, performance rights company. And I had a rep who said to me, "Hey, I think I want to send you down to Key West. There's a place called the Hogs Rest Saloon in Key West, and they use a lot of." Uh, 
Nashville singer-songwriters, and I think you might do well down there. So I got in touch with Charlie Bauer, the Hogs Breath, and he did, and so we, we booked some dates back in 2003. Okay. And um, I came down to play the Hogs Breath in August of 2003, mm-hmm. and Irish Kevin himself had heard about me oh. and came over and said, I want you to come play for me. Um, in July of 2003, I came down here to play my very first time. Never been to Key West before or mm-hmm. anything. But at the time I was here, Irish Kevin himself went on vacation. Oh, so he didn't see you. So Kevin never saw me when I played here in July. Okay. So I came back three weeks later to play the Hogs Breath where I'd originally was booked. And Kevin came down and saw me then and said, I want you to come play for me. And so I started back at Irish Kevin's then uh, pretty much a full time in September of uh, 2003. Wow, that's awesome. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know that's how you ended up. I've been there that long. Wow. It's it's crazy that it's it's been since 2003. Summer times I would still tour around Europe. Mm-hmm. I would still um, play shows throughout the United States. And then um, back in 2007, I left Nashville and moved here okay. permanently. So nice. It's been a long time on that stage at Irish Kevin's. Yeah. <laughs> We've seen, seen a lot on that stage at Irish Kevin's. You and I were talking about it one day during the day show. We were saying you we were comparing jobs and I told you that I feel like the bartenders are like the therapists that interact directly with the patient. Yes. And you're kind of the, uh, the guy with the clipboard and the lab coat observing from up top. Well, I'm <laughs> sure that I'm, I know you have amazing stories <laughs> being a bartender and most bartenders do. And, as musicians, we have stories too. The difference is you are definitely more interactive with the people up mm-hmm. close than we are. Mm-hmm. But from where we are, we probably have the best vantage point of anyone in yeah. the bar. Because we're usually up above the crowd. We can see the entire room from where we are. So just like you, a lot of times when people don't think anyone's looking. Mm-hmm. We are. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're always looking at usually, you know, one person or a band on stage. They don't realize we can see you too. Mm-hmm. So the things that we just, I'm sure like you, it, sometimes you just happen to look up and look in one direction and you see something and go, oh my God. I can't believe that. And nobody else saw it but you. That was actually me this weekend. I had I had some very strange I had a really weird weekend We've at the had bar. Some really weird months down here lately. Yeah, it's you know without getting into the mask debate, but I had an interesting situation because you know, Key West has become very um well not just Key West, all of Florida has kind of dropped back mask regulations, you know, and stuff like that. And so this past weekend I had, and and I have customers that still come in with their masks on. I respect the fact that they want to wear them. That's absolutely their choice. I had a man standing 
towards the back of the bar um, this past weekend with his mask on. And I observed him and clearly, you know, I was like, okay, you, you still need that protection and that's, sure. that's your choice. Um, but he kept motioning to me cause he wanted me, he was afraid to come up to the bar to order his drink. So he kept motioning to me to come to him. And I looked over at him and I said, no, no. I said, that's not how this works. Like you come to the bar and order your drink and then I make it for you. I don't come around to you to take your drink order. And apparently I, I don't know what was going on with him, but the security guards told me that after I turned my back from him, he took, grabbed like the pole that was in front of him and just like banged his head on the pole and walked out of the bar. And I was like, you know, it's one of those things that nobody else observed it, but we were like, what? just happened like you see some strange <laughs> things we really do yeah um you never know what's going on in somebody's head mm -hmm. and i know probably using as well that full moon affects everyone all over this planet the full moon has some kind mm -hmm. of effect on certain people but i think it affects people here more than anywhere else i've ever been in my life yes i would have to agree with that whether we're close to the equator or what it is but you can i can tell on stage when it's a full moon crowd mm -hmm. because it's there's been many nights that i walked off stage and i just tried to relate to the crowd and we just weren't getting each other and i beat myself up about it and get off stage with my face and my hands and like what could i have done better Mm -hmm. Why didn't that work? And then I walk out the back park not to go home and I look up and it's full moon. And mm -hmm. I'm like, ah, oh, that's it. Mm -hmm. I should have known better. Mm -hmm. But they it's almost like some people get off their meds on full moon. I there was a few months ago, I remember a Sunday night show that you were on stage. I can't, I don't remember exactly how many months ago, but I just remember it being a really weird Sunday night that you were on stage and the, like the crowd that was in that night, we were all talking about it. We were like, what is going on tonight? Right. It, it was, and I can definitely vouch for what you're saying. Cause we all realized at the end of the shift, we're like, ah, some it's nights full moon. Are just that way, mm -hmm. you know, like sometimes the audience just doesn't get me or they don't. I don't get them, or maybe mm -hmm. I'm not playing the kind of music they want to hear or whatever. I mean, mm -hmm. we're all different. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I have just really wonderful audiences and everything clicks. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's just like, I'm up there going, what is going on right now? I'm trying to find something that they like and they just are just in that mood. And it also depends on what they're drinking. Yeah. For instance, I've noticed when we have the, the food and wine festival in town. Okay. And everybody's on a wine drunk for the day. <laughs> when they come in on that wine drunk, yeah. they're like zombies. Huh. They just, you can talk to them and sing and play anything you want. And they're drunk, but they're just not really there Yeah, in response to you. So there's a lot of factors that could be you know, a, for a good or bad show. You just have to learn over all these years. Don't take it personal. Yeah. Because I used to get, you know, really upset about it and I'd go home and beat myself up about it. And I'm mm -hmm. like, you know, as long as you want to do the best you can, mm -hmm. 
I'm, I'm not in control of the audience. I'm not in control of the weather. Mm -hmm. These things are not, you know, within my ability. I will say at least you give your disclaimer before your show yeah. <laughs> to let people know if you're going to get offended. Yeah. I just, people, and this has been coming on long before now that the politically correct thing has just gotten out of hand mm -hmm. in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I don't want to offend anybody or upset anybody, but I'm here to have a good time. Yeah. And we're here to have fun and have a sense of humor. And, mm -hmm. and I have a lot of sarcasm in my show. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if, if you're one of those kind of people that gets upset or grumpy or you're in a bad mood or you're just looking to fight with someone mm -hmm. about something, then you don't want to be in my show. Yeah. You know, I'm here to have a good time and entertain you. Mm -hmm. So um, sometimes people forget about that. And, um, you know, we talked about the last few months that we've been through, I would say probably December through the end of March of this mm -hmm. year because of the coronavirus. Yeah. They were, they were rough. I know they were rough on the staffs and they were rough on the entertainers too. Yeah. All right, so we've been talking about the crowds for the last couple of weeks and how we've seen a shift. It's, you know, the, we've really had a shift over the last couple of months, really, in my opinion. We, you know, obviously, we, when we opened back up, I think it was September, October. Um, there were so many restrictions and precautions. And um, on the stage, we had plexiglass. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And having to play through the plexiglass, which was just something I never had to deal with before. It's, mm -hmm. That was really a challenge because so much of what we do on stage involves that direct interaction with people, the eye contact mm -hmm. and things. And with the plexiglass, it put this barrier between us mm -hmm. there was they would speak to us and we couldn't hear them because they were on the side of the class and what most people don't realize is from our vantage point there was a reflection of the stage lights on the plexiglass from our side yeah so the audience could see us clearly mm -hmm. but it acted like a one-way mirror to us, we had a reflection of ourselves in the plexiglass in front of us. Yeah, we could. It was really, really hard to see the audience. So yeah. now you're trying to relate to an audience and interact with an audience that you can't see, mm -hmm. and you can't hear them when they talk to you. It was, it was really a tough, hard thing to try and work with. We we did the best we could. Yeah, and then. I don't remember what month it was when our plexiglass came down. It was in, uh, I want to say February, because it came down. It was either end of February, beginning of March, because it came down right before St. Patty's Day, because that's when they dropped the mask. Like, that's when we were able to stop wearing masks right. to work. I mean, I was on stage the day they cut the plexiglass down mm -hmm. in the middle of my show. I was actually the girl with a song. Oh, right. When they walked up on my stage with a pair of scissors and just cut the plexiglass down. And I was like, what is going on right yeah. now? 
I wasn't um, there when that happened. I just remember coming to work and seeing the glass down. And there was just, there was an atmosphere of almost like the war is over yeah. in the room. And um, over the last several months now, mm -hmm. I think because of the coronavirus and people being locked up mm -hmm. in their homes for so long and restrictions in Florida being pretty much more wide open. Any other state mm -hmm. in a long time, we were the only ones open. Mm -hmm. You know, people have more or less come down here like they just got released from prison and they said you can go to Key West for seven days and do whatever you want with no consequences. Yeah. And that's what happened. Yeah, well, you know, that's that's actually one of the things that my girlfriend Nora and I talked about in the last podcast, but we were talking about like people getting back out and like I I had a I think I brought it up last last week about um the bachelor party that came in and they said it was the walking into Irish Kevin's was the first time they'd been in a bar in a year and a half. Right. And you know, and it's like we've been really lucky down here because we've been open and can go to bars and do all of that stuff. But our guests that have been coming in, you know, we're trying to be patient because yeah. we're trying to be, you know, we're trying to say, okay, we feel your pain. Like you guys have been locked up. We want to be the ones to like make this fun for you. But, um, but then some of them come down. Like I had a guy sitting at my bar on Saturday that for whatever reason thought it would be amusing to just sit and flip quarters at me while I was making drinks. And yeah. I ended up yelling at him like he, uh, yeah, he actually kind of made me mad. <laughs> yeah. But some of them, I was just like, in what? I actually looked at him. I said, in what world do you think this is appropriate to sit here and flick quarters exactly. at me? <laughs> so they, um, a lot of them forgot how to behave mm -hmm. and how to be respectful and just decent people in public. Mm -hmm. Are we not usually we can't really trust drunk people to begin with. Yeah. But they were, I would say, probably a little more drunk than normal because mm -hmm. they were so happy to be out and mm -hmm. away on vacation. And then some of their behavior was just not okay. Yeah. I mean, you were there the day the girl sprayed breast milk. I wasn't there, but that is a bullet point I have for questions to ask you today because when I came into work and heard that story, yeah. I was mortified. So I'm going to ask you to tell that story. I was mortified. <laughs> Um, as big of a boob man as I am, <laughs> that, that crossed the line. Um, I was playing during spring break and it was early in the day. I mean, it was probably around noon or one o'clock and I had a bunch of spring breakers from Orlando in front of me and they were drinking and apparently the one woman had still breastfeeding or whatever. And, and she was doing something to the table and I said, what's going on down there? And she just turned around and pulled her boob out and just shot a stream of breast milk at me on stage that I was just horrified. <laughs> I just, I backed up and stopped playing. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, stop it. I think if I heard correctly, ironically, weren't you doing the Rodney Carrington song, Show Them to Me? No, I can't say that for sure. Okay, because somebody told me that you were in the middle of that song when she did it. <laughs> That's probably just rumor. Okay. I don't remember <laughs> what song I was doing. I in no way enticed this woman <laughs> to do what she did, which is surprising. Yeah. Um, but she was just drunk out of her mind. And she was mm -hmm. not only, you know, that she, she breast milk it. But she was 
shooting breast milk at our, our poor waiters. He walked up. <laughs> she was trying to squirt him. She, yeah. She was squirting another drunk guy at the table on his arm, and he was just licking it off his arm. And I was just so <laughs> grossed out by the whole thing. I mean, I'm sorry, but when you start, you know, shooting bodily fluids at me. Yeah. Unrequested. No, that's, that's crossing the line right there. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's, I, I think I found out about it from your Facebook page because you put up a blurb about it on Facebook after it happened. That even just stunned and me. I, I, yeah, that one I. And ironically, that is not <laughs> so the funny. only time I've ever heard such a story happen at Irish Kids. It happened one other time. Yeah, I have heard that, that it has happened one other time. Yeah, to, to my friend Jared and. He actually called me the day after it happened, and he was just mortified, like <laughs> just as I was. He was like, what the hell? <laughs> like, who thinks that's okay to do that to a complete stranger you don't know? It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, someday it'll be funny. Maybe. I already think it's funny. You but... think it's funny because it's going to happen to you. And I wasn't there when it happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think if it would have happened to you or somebody else, they probably would be in the same situation I was. But even that one took me back. And at that point, I was just like, you know, these people in these audiences right now, they have just lost their freaking mm. mind. Mm. They're just out of control from now. And I don't, I can't control these people a bit longer. Yeah. No, they've been, uh, I don't know. We've seen... I've seen a lot of good and a lot of bad coming in, obviously. I mean, it's just, I personally sitting back, like, and this is this is how I feel as, as a bartender working in a bar like Irish Kevin's and having entertainers like you and Kevin and, you know, the numerous entertainers that we get to have on stage that, you know, people will sit at my bar and they'll say, you know, you must hear the same act every day or every time they go on stage, is it the same act? Or you hear the same jokes, or you hear this, or you hear that. And for me, it's like, yes, there are some that, you know, they follow a very regimented routine. Um, but I feel it's the crowd that changes every single act yeah. and how the crowd is going to entertain or interact with the entertainer. That's what makes it exciting for me. There are, you know, I, you can do the same songs every single set or every sure. single show, but every crowd's going to interact differently. Um, you know, what? It, what's the new song that, or the big song that's out right now that you sing all the time? The uh, Dicker and Dallas. Dicker and Dallas. Every, I wait for that song every time it comes on because I'm like, we're about to find out what kind of crowd we have in here today. <laughs> yeah, it's, I enjoy it because it's just the shock value. Yeah. I like to shock the audience. Um, but yeah, I mean, as an entertainer at Kevin's, myself mm -hmm. and all the other guys, we are more or less the ringleader of the circus. Mm -hmm. But we also have to play and sing at the same time. So mm -hmm. you never notice, you know, if the elephants are going to get loose <laughs> or, you know, somebody got all the monkeys drunk and then <laughs> sent them into the bar. And now <laughs> as the ringleader, we have to clean this up and try and control this in some way. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it just gets crazy. There's yeah. a lot of improv to what we do. Yeah. I mean, I've prided myself for years on never doing the same show twice. Mm -hmm. And that's because 
it's never the same audience. Yeah. The audience changes every day. Oh yeah. So what worked yesterday might not work today. Yeah. I play some of the same songs, but the show that I did for you last night, if you come back this afternoon, you mm -hmm. may hear a whole bunch of different music or just depends on the audience and what's working for them and what's not. Yeah. Even that individual person, the show that they saw the day before, they may have reacted one way, but they might be in a totally different mood the next day they exactly. come in. <laughs> and, um, you know, and you, you mix in bachelor parties, bachelorette parties, birthdays, mm -hmm. weddings, you know, mm -hmm. people just got engaged. Mm -hmm. you know, we never, every day I walk in Irish Kims, mm -hmm. I never know what I'm walking into. Yeah. It is a crapshoot every day. Mm -hmm. And I could walk in and just think that I'm ready, you know, to play a show and walk in. There's 10 people there and that's fine. And then sometimes I just walk in, it's just a shit show in there. Mm -hmm. And those are the days that I'm using like, man, I'm really tired. Yeah. Let's just, let's just get through this show and give them the best show I can. And then I walk in and there's just drunk monkeys everywhere. Yeah. You know, yeah. you just got to get up there and throw that switch and do what we do. Yeah, actually we had a, I, I know there was a, a I think it was during one of Kevin's shows over the weekend, there was a couple that got engaged. I think they were, they showed up for your show the other day while right. you were on stage, mm -hmm. but I was there when they got on gate, when they, when he proposed to her on stage, I was there and watched the whole thing. And we all just kind of stopped, took a deep breath and waited for her to answer. Cause you yes. know, I was like, this could be really bad. <laughs> that, that happens uh, probably more times than you think it would for some yeah. reason people want to get engaged there in front of mm -hmm. on stage in front of an audience and, and there is one time that i saw that she said no i've heard about that i think that's and why i hold my breath every time <laughs> it was really awkward yeah after that to try and pick up as an entertainer and go okay here we go that, that, <laughs> wow that was unexpected and you know here's Margaret Bedefield. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's kind of rough you yeah. know, to pick up after that. And uh, you know, there's always that moment of let's hope this goes well. Yeah. Because I have to clean up the mess if it doesn't. Yeah. 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 I I can't imagine being on your guys' end during that, but but it's also like it's gotta feel great for you guys when you get to be part of that big day for somebody like it's an important day in their life yeah and you know if we can give them a memory to mm -hmm. to smile about and mm -hmm. think about or something to tell their friends about that they got in engaged you know, on stage at Irish Kevin's and I was on mm -hmm. stage or or Kevin or any one of the other boys if that makes them happy makes them smile then it's the least we can do. yeah absolutely that's awesome have a little bright spot on their vacation yeah well, and that's ultimately, I think what we're all trying to do right now is we're trying to hold it together at work so that we can, you know, because obviously when I go on vacation, I want the people I interact with that live in those places to be, you know, to be the highlight of my trip, especially if you come to a place like Key West that you're bar hopping and doing Duval crawl. And, you know, I like the idea of being the bartender that puts a smile on people's faces and they go home and they're like, oh, when you go to when you go to Key West, you got to go to Irish Kevin's. You got to go see Cheryl because, you know, and that makes me happy. But right. I will say that the last few weeks, few weeks I've been uh, struggling to to be that person because we're all dealing with, you know, 
short staff and short staff. We're all working so. a lot, and you know we're all tired. We've been going full bore now for mm -hmm. you know three, four and a half months. Or yeah, so, and we all get vacations. <laughs> yeah. It's when I go on vacation, the last thing that I do is go out to a place that's bar hopping, bar mm -hmm. crawling, like that. I want to go somewhere quiet and secluded and mm -hmm. give people a fake name and tell them that I'm a telemarketer from Milwaukee yeah. and nobody <laughs> wants to talk to me. And, you know, and I'm perfectly fine with that. Yeah. We get so much attention on stage, mm -hmm. you know, and that whenever we get off stage, you know, we, we go home and just want to kind of be quiet for a while. Yeah. Totally from everyone. It is nice though to, sit back right now because you know for a while there i was noticing um that when we first came back from covid um irish kevin's was the place to go like i mean you could stand on the Wall street and look at every bar around us and they were completely empty right and then you would look at irish kevin's and it was packed from front to back on the weekends and it was just you know we were the place to go I will say it is nice to see that dispersing amongst the rest of the bars as we're all kind of easing out of the restrictions. And it's nice to see my fellow bartenders around town picking back up and things kind of getting back to normal around here. And it's good to see everybody kind of back to some form of normal, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I mean, Kevin's has always been known as a place to, to go for live entertainment music mm -hmm. because you know, we've all been there a really long time and we've built mm -hmm. that up. Um, but there's a lot of other places in town too that really got hurt this past mm -hmm. year, like around the world. And mm -hmm. it's nice to see them coming back around too and seeing yeah. some old faces that we haven't seen in quite some time. Yeah, sure. I will definitely agree with that. All right, so Jeff, I, I haven't had a chance to get started on this yet, but I do want to talk about the fact that you are a published author. Yeah, who knew? Huh? Yeah, I, uh, so I bought your book the other day. Thank you. And because, um, I mean, I listen to you tell certain stories up on the stage, and I'm like, okay, I got to have some context behind this because you're very good at telling the story without giving it away. So people have to buy the book to hear the story. That's, that's part of the sales part pitch of it. Yeah. So the name of your book is, so you think this looks easy tales of a troubadour. Yep. Um, for those who are country music challenged, let's explain what a troubadour is. A troubadour is a, um, it's actually a very respectful term. It goes, I didn't realize this, until I researched, but it goes all the way back to the kings and queens. Really? Whenever the the royalty or whoever wanted someone to come and sing and play for them, they would clap their hands and say, I want to see the troubadour. Hmm. That's a it's a strolling minstrel that plays an instrument. So if the king were to want the troubadour to come in and play, mm -hmm. it would be, you know, one guy with a guitar and he would sing and play to please the queen, the royalty, whoever it's. It could be a guitar, it could be a fiddle, it could mm -hmm. be a flute, it could be actually Mozart was considered a troubadour, Bach uh -huh. was considered a troubadour. So because it's just a solo person who sings and plays is a, and travels around as a troubadour. Okay. So I'm very proud to call myself a troubadour. That's very cool. 
I didn't know the full definition of it. So that's yeah. actually, that's awesome. It's people hear it. It's also, you know, one of the most famous clubs in LA. And that's why music clubs in LA. So when you say the Troubadour, mm-hmm. most people probably give reference to that, but that's where it comes from. It's, it's a, hmm. a single musician who sings and plays and entertains. I've just always known it from the George Strait song. Sure. So that was the first time I'd ever actually heard the word. So well, I, I can relate to that song. I feel that way sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So tell us a little bit about, I, I think it's awesome that you wrote a book because your book is kind of like, in a way, kind of what I wanted to do with this podcast without sure. having to be the author, you know, but being able to tell the stories of what it's like to do what you do for a living. Well, you know, I'm, I'm full of stories. I mean, I've, I've traveled around the country, around the globe. I've played in 17 different countries, mm-hmm. you know, most of the time just alone, you know, just me and the guitar on stage as a troubadour. Mm-hmm. And much like what we see here at Kevin's mm-hmm. and other places, you know, you see things that nobody else sees. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the chapters is called Nobody Saw It But Me. Yeah. And that happens a lot. Yeah. And just the things that happen to you whenever you travel mm-hmm. and you're alone traveling and the mishaps that comes up in situations or, or the environment you find yourself in and you have no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. I found myself in countries where, you know, I was the only English speaking person there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have to go in and try and entertain an audience singing English when English is not their mother tongue. Mm -hmm. So it works out well because no matter where you go in the world, everybody loves music. Oh yeah. It is the language of the world. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you can understand the lyrics, everybody still understands the beat. But there's a lot of mishaps that happen Mm -hmm. and funny situations. And this is a collection of uh, some of those situations up into the point where I started working at Key West the full time. Okay. Um, tell us a little history about my my beginnings, my upbringing. So most of what I want people to understand out of this book, number one, is I want them to laugh. Yeah. I want them to laugh out loud yeah. when they read some of the things that's happened to me. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is maybe they'll understand me a little bit better why I react the way I do to some things mm-hmm. when I'm on stage because I've seen way more than I ever imagined I would. Yeah. As a little guitar player from Pennsylvania. It's interesting how, I mean, it's interesting how being in this kind of environment does change you, right? Because I mean, if you'd met me five years ago, you probably would have hated me. (laughs) Why is that? Oh, because I lived in the very like cookie cutter, you know, I lived in St. Augustine, Florida in an HOA neighborhood in my little leave it to beaver land. And, you know, I didn't, I wasn't as open-minded at that point as, you know, I was trying to live quote unquote, the normal life, you know, what we're, what we're told, this is how things are supposed to be. And, you know, when Pete and I chose to break away from that and move our children onto a sailboat and said, you know, what, no, like there's this whole big world out there and we want our kids to be exposed to it. And, you know, and working in a bar, I, even Pete says that, you know, it changes you. Like you learn to react to things differently, things that would normally offend other people. I look at and laugh. 
Sure. Because I'm like, if that's the worst thing I hear today, then I'm doing good, you know, but the person next to them is like, I can't believe that person just said that to you, you know? And so, but, uh, I, you know, I was saying in the last podcast, there are some stories I'm not quite ready to tell on here what people have said to me, but I can tell you, I've worked noon shifts, like afternoon shifts at Irish Kevin's and had customers already drunk at one o'clock in the afternoon, make comments to me that I'm just like, in what world do you think that's appropriate? I will laugh, but the woman, the next woman you say that to, she'll probably smack you. (laughs) I can honestly say from my personal experience Mm -hmm. that obviously there's alcohol usually involved. Mm -hmm. I have had women say things to me Mm -hmm. in bars, just come up random to me on stage or after the show and say things to me that in my wildest dreams, I would have never said to them. They are so more dirty and filthy than I ever possibly would have thought of. Sometimes even I'm taken back and go, wow. Now, so my, so in the last week's podcast, Nora and I were talking about whether that sometimes is Key West, or do you feel that, because we do feel when Key West, as far as vacations go, people come down here and sometimes think, like, we feel like they forget there are still laws. Right. Because we, Key West is so lenient about a lot of things. Like, sure. so we feel like when people come down here, they kind of forget that it, they react differently. So do you feel that you hear it more now that you live in Key West, or do you feel it's pretty even across the board I don't know that it's any more here in key west i mean i've had females say things to me all over the world mm-hmm. wherever i was playing that just sometimes like i said i was even taken back mm-hmm. but i feel here in key west in general people come down here and do things in this town mm-hmm. that they would never do in their own hometown yeah for sure yeah because nobody knows them so they can whatever they want to do. Mm-hmm. And it's people like us who have to witness their behavior. <laughs> well, you know, and, and it's actually one of the things that I, that is actually my favorite thing about this town is that Key West is a town that, it, you know, our motto is one human family. Sure. Like we truly are very open to all lifestyles, all, you know, like it's just a town where you can really literally be anyone, anything sure, you want to be. And um, there's a lot of places in the world that aren't as open-minded as we are down here. And um, so, I mean, it's, I think that's why I love doing this job down here is because we just see all walks of life. It's a, it's an interesting place to live. And you know, as well as I do, that we see things on a daily basis mm-hmm. that don't even face us that we don't even blink an eye at that if you were to see in any other town in this world you would stop and go what is that mm-hmm. what is going on but mm-hmm. we doesn't even face us we just walk past it like it's nothing yeah and that's the beauty of this little island of misfit toys and you now you have a son yes and he is almost 14 Elvis will be 14 this morning okay and he's full-time in Key West with yes. you. Okay. So how, how I have to ask, because I also have a 14 year old son who is very inner, in inner, 
intertwined with the culture down here. And he, uh, how does he handle living in Key West? Like, has he been, has he been fully exposed to everything down here? He has, um, he's got an interesting upbringing because he knows his daddy's an entertainer. Mm -hmm. He's, he's known that his whole life. He's used to that. He's never known me to have any other job. He knows mm -hmm. that Teddy sings and plays on stage. Mm -hmm. Um, but Obviously, I don't have him down at my shows, and mm -hmm. and he doesn't see the full on, sometimes offensive show that I mm -hmm. may do. But he's he's adapted really well to living here. I mean, he's he does very well in school. He's in soccer. He has his social friends mm -hmm. and everything. When he when it comes to the craziness that we see on the Wall Street on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. He sees it, just kind of rolls it off as okay. Well, this is normal for this town. Yeah, but he's not exposed to the things that you and I are, mm -hmm. and the other people who work. In yeah, the pit of the Wall Street, the things we see daily. Yeah, I I can remember being out with my son. I think it was the week before Fantasy Fest, and we were at some. I think we were at like loggerheads or something right along the beach, some little, you know, getting food real quick or whatever. And I remember the guy coming up in a tutu, a thong and fairy wings yep. to get some food from the bar. And I just remember Jacob looking over at him and being like, Hey, I like your outfit, man. Yeah. And that was his response. And the guy was like, thanks. And Jacob's like, yeah. And just walked away. <laughs> like it just didn't even face it. We're all laid back here. I think that mm -hmm. probably, you know, rubs off on our kids and mm -hmm. things. I mean, I remember when Elvis was young, we used to go to the Fantasy Fest parade mm -hmm. and everything when he was small. And then it got to the point that, um, you know, he was getting a little older. Mm -hmm. He could understand things. I mean, I feel bad. I feel like I've ruined Halloween for him forever. <laughs> because yeah. no matter wherever he goes the rest of his life, if he gets invited to a Halloween party, he's going to walk in and go, where are the boobs? Yeah. <laughs> like, why does everybody have clothes on? Yeah. You know, I don't understand. This is not Halloween. This yeah. is not the way we're supposed to celebrate Halloween. Yeah. Um, but no, he's he's adapted really well. I mean, this is the only life he's ever known. And, and for the first few years of his life, he didn't even, I don't really think, know that I had a job. Mm -hmm. Because... He was, you know, small, and it, in the evening, we'd give him a bath and put him to bed, and then Daddy would make a pot of coffee, and Daddy would go to work, and Daddy mm -hmm. worked till 2, 3 in the morning, mm -hmm. come home, I'd go to bed, and then he gets up in the morning, and Daddy was still there. Yeah. So, you know, I think at one point, he looked at me like, you're a loser, aren't you? Because, <laughs> like, all my friends' dads have jobs, but yeah. you don't have a job. Like, what yeah. are you doing? Hmm. And I'm like... I, I get a job. Don't you worry about it. My main job is being your daddy. That's yeah. Number one. Everything else is second. Yeah, I know a lot of a lot of people when they come into this town and they want to talk to the entertainers, the people that live here. They want to know what it's. Especially if they find out that you have children, they want to know how do you raise your kids in this town. So right. it's definitely um, it's doable, and they have normal lives, and they're you know. Well, and I think it's important that people probably know, too, about me that I'm not 
the same daddy at home mm-hmm. that I am on stage. Mm-hmm. You know, on stage, that's my show. That's what I do. But mm-hmm. when I get off stage, I'm I'm a little different. Yeah, you know, I'm a little more reserved, quiet. I mean, there's still parts of my personality, but yeah, I'm a completely. When I'm off stage, I'm just happy being daddy. Yeah, that's all there is. Perfect. So we're sitting here chatting during the break about about you and how your your preferences and how you spend your extracurricular time have changed since you've been yes. in this job. So I'll go ahead and let you take over. I mean, it's it's. You know, I mean, I think with any entertainer or anything like that, we all have our own personal demons, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, you know, I started playing in bars when I was 18, 19 years old. And you know, just like any other bar, everybody, first thing everybody wants to do is want to drink. Mm-hmm. Let's go drink, especially in this town, you know, it's, she's running somebody, let's go drink. Mm-hmm. And, um, and almost as an entertainer, you're almost kind of expected to drink. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then you walk into a bar and you're just coming to work and they've been there a while. So they're already pretty buzzed up. And now you're sober. So you're trying to get a buzz. So you can relate <laughs> to each other. And, and just throughout the time, it just escalates and it gets more and more and more, mm-hmm. you know, and whenever in your 20s and college and things, just to drink to have fun. And then you, it goes on through your thirties, you know, you're still drinking and, you know, trying to have fun like you're in your twenties. And then what happens is as you get older, you realize you start, you're drinking, but you don't, you're still trying to relive that youth, but yeah. not. And in my personal case, it just got to the point that I was just drinking all the time. The only time I drank was at work, mm-hmm. but I worked six days a week. Yeah. So, you know, I, and my preference to drink was Jack Daniels whiskey. I wasn't drinking beer. Mm-hmm. So I was drinking, you know, 40% alcohol. And um, it just got to the point in my life that um, I just didn't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, I wanted to stop, but it's just, it was almost expected of me. And then people kept bringing me shots on stage. And, and, and things like that. And so it finally got to the point where I just looked at myself in the mirror one day and said, I just don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to live like this anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, and I struggled with it for a long time and something to never believe. But, you know, I, I've had some great friends and, you know, and some really wonderful people at AA that helped me through the years that learned me, you know, taught me different ways of that I can live a life that I don't have to have that anymore. Yeah. And, um, and I really, you know, just personally, I don't judge anybody else Mm -hmm. for what they do. And I don't have a problem being around. I just learned that I don't need it in my life anymore Mm -hmm. where we used to drink to, I used to drink to just have fun Mm -hmm. and it got to the point that it just wasn't fun anymore. Yeah. And, um, just, as I got older, you know, my body couldn't metabolize it as well. And yeah. hangovers would, you know, would kill a small child. <laughs> and then you had to drink to take away the hangover. Mm-hmm. And it just got to the point that I, I said, I don't want to live like this anymore. 
Yeah. And um, so I just made the decision to to stop. Yeah. And I'm just so thankful I did because you know my life now after several years is way better than it was. My relationship mm -hmm. with my son is is way better than it ever was. And you know when I see people every day, mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes I look at my head, you know, and I go, wow. Just glad I'm not that guy anymore. Yeah. And so just enjoy my quality of life now. I definitely know it's one of the things you do take great pride in because you do. I I mean, every shift I work with you, there's at least one customer that offers, you know, what what can I send up to him for a yeah. shot? What will he do a drink of? And I'm like, oh, just send him up a coffee. Yeah, that's, <laughs> and that's you do, common. I yeah. Mean, it's common courtesy. People, people would rather buy you a drink than two. Yeah, it's and, usually what I like to tell them is he accepts. Uh, exactly. <laughs> he cash. accepts cash. <laughs> and um, and for so many years, you know, I've been at Kevin's for eighteen years now, mm -hmm. and for so many years, people knew me to drink, and mm -hmm. they would come in and buy a shot with me. And um, you know, they just get into town. They're like, "Hey, this one's I'm gonna have a shot with Jeff Harris." They buy two shots. They bring one up to me and they wonder we click glasses we do the shot and then they go sit back down and mm -hmm. 15 minutes later somebody else comes in and goes hey i want to do a shot with jeff Harris," and they buy a shot for them <laughs> and then bring me one and now i'm you know it's like the ultimate peer pressure job mm -hmm. so now you know i have to i just had one 15 minutes ago now i have to have another one now yeah not to offend you and then that adds up real quick yeah next thing you know you're five six shots in and you still got two hours left to go on the show yeah and it just physically just got bad. Yeah. And it just, you know, I saw my life spiraling in ways that I wasn't happy with. Mm -hmm. And one of the main problems was my drinking. Yeah. So I just excluded that from the equation altogether. Yeah. And I'm happy I did. I mean, I still see people suffer every day and I, I feel bad for them and, mm -hmm. and I, have hope for them but it's just important to me right now for me and, and my son that i keep myself on straight and narrow well you've been how many years now it's been four years since i started into recovery but it's been several years now since i've had a drink that's awesome and um yeah very proud it's a, quite an accomplishment especially in a peer pressure town like this yeah i mean it's still doing happens. what you do <laughs> it still happens people who haven't seen me in a while because yeah. of the Lockdown, still come up and bring you drinks, and mm -hmm. you know, I just say thank you. I really appreciate that. But I'd rather watch you drink it because yeah, I don't want to, don't want to go back there again. Yeah, no, that's awesome. It's not uncommon in this industry. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely. I mean, even being behind the bar, people offer. I mean, we have a obviously we're not allowed to take drinks sure. when we're when we're working, but uh, you know, people always want to buy the bartender a shot, and I'm like, I accept shots in the form of gratuity right. <laughs> you can take that you know ten dollars that that shot's going to cost you and add it to my tip <laughs> exactly and i think people just generally just assume the band is going to drink mm -hmm. and i don't know what it is with people but audiences for some reason believe that as a musician mm -hmm. that wherever you go you carry a tackle box of drugs with you <laughs> 
of mm -hmm. any kind, whether it be mushrooms or pills mm -hmm. or cocaine or marijuana or heroin, they assume that we have a tackle box with us that if they ask for it, we're just going to deal it right there to them mm -hmm. like a drug dealer. They assume that we constantly have drugs on us. Yeah. And we, uh, we get asked all the time. Yeah. But I always, I always have the same answer to them. I said, you know, I, I can't help you there. Go ask a stripper. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually what I do. All right. So Jeff, a lot of people, when they come into this town, they're very infatuated by the way we live down here. Cause you know, we're out here in this little Island out in the middle of two oceans. You can stand on one side and look at the Atlantic, stand on the other side, look at the Gulf and life down here is moves a little bit different than it yes. does in the rest of the country. So as far as living in a place like Key West, what's your favorite thing? about calling this island home? I think probably most of it is the people, mm -hmm. the locals. I mean, we really have that sense of community down here where you help each other out. And the one human family thing where we don't judge, mm -hmm. you know, we love everybody as a person on this planet the way it should be. Mm -hmm. um, and just the creativity of this island. Being an artist myself, we just we have so much creativity here, mm -hmm. whether you're a painter, a writer, songwriter, a musician, a sculptor, a photographer. There's so much creativity on this town that I really, really love that. I do. It's attractive to me mm -hmm. that you can come down here and just be yourself. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely an eclectic little town. Like you can pretty much walk for it to be such a small place and you can walk from one end to the other, even take a stroll down to fall street, walk from one end to the other, you can find something for everybody. Yeah. And it's, you know, I know like a lot of people get upset because they feel like a lot of emphasis goes on the, uh, the whole idea of the Duval crawl and the fact that we're a bartending town, but they forget about all this other amazing stuff down here that, um makes us very special and it's a little island of misfit toys mm -hmm. like i said before where mm -hmm. we all come down here and we don't judge and you can be whoever you want dress however you want mm -hmm. but we all just take care of each other when the chips are down we we all help each other out that way. that's that and the weather is what i love about it. yeah oh god you can't beat the weather today's yeah. beautiful yeah <laughs> it's a little hot but it's getting hot. It's about to get a lot hotter. Yeah, but we'll make it through. Yes. So with that being said, what is the one thing that you hate about living here? I would say I hate the cable TV feeds. <laughs> and I'll tell you why, because as you know, our our television comes from Miami. Yeah, that's true. So there's constantly commercials for Olive Garden. Mm -hmm. or there's commercials for Arby's <laughs> or there's commercials about, you know, food in places that are having wonderful specials, mm -hmm. and gourmet food that we don't have here. Yeah. You know, a, a Chick-fil-A. Yeah. God, because, what I get for Chick-fil-A. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like gold down here because people in normal society take this stuff for granted. 
And for us, you know, a trip to Walmart is three and a half hours away. That requires an overnight hotel stay for me to go to Walmart. Yeah. So the seclusion of it is a blessing and a curse. Mm -hmm. That some things are really inconvenient down here. Amazon is a godsend to us. Mm -hmm. But before Amazon, you know, we had to go to the mainland a lot to just get things that would be normal to anyone else. Mm-hmm. So um, that's probably the one thing yeah. that that I miss living down here. But after being back into a normal society for about mm-hmm. two or three days and seeing yeah. normal society traffic and yeah. rush hour and things, I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go back to my little 30 mile an hour island now. Yeah. Yeah. That's I. I can definitely agree with you on that one. Like we, you know, I don't like shopping anyways. Like it's, I'm the person that when I know I have, I'm going to the mainland to go shopping, I get online, I figure out what mall I'm going to. Then I figure out exactly which stores I want to go to. And I pre-shop on the website before I go to the store, because I've actually gotten to the point where going to a mall gives me anxiety because there's so many choices. And I'm just, I'm not used to walking into a store and having so much available to me that it can be very overwhelming for me when I go up there. So, and I know that probably sounds ridiculous, but I can tell you, I've walked into the mall and called Pete hyperventilating because I'm like having an anxiety attack because it's just too much. Well, we don't have that. So, and, um, but it's definitely, uh, it does make you appreciate it when you step into that world for a little bit and you're like, okay, I, I live just fine with my TJ Maxx that I pick through and, you know, cross my fingers, I can find something like, you know, I'm okay with that being my shopping source at the spur of the moment or. My mainland trips primarily revolve around food. Oh, really? They really do. It's, it's Walmart and Olive Garden that I may go to Target and then I'm going to Macaroni Grill for dinner. Mm-hmm. I'm making sure I'm hitting Waffle House in the morning for breakfast and then Cracker Barrel for lunch on the way back. Yeah. And stop at Arby's to get a late night snack at Key Largo. Hmm. You know, it's it's really mine kind of revolves around food. That's interesting because I, I personally feel Key West has some amazing restaurants and I would much rather eat our, our local than chain. Well, I always worry when I yeah yeah i don't eat seafood i am a true land guy yeah i don't eat seafood i don't like it i have no desire for it Hmm. um i have no desire to own a watercraft (laughs) i live on an island in the caribbean sea i like motorcycles and cars and steak yeah so I mean, we have some amazing restaurants, some amazing seafood down here. It's just, yeah. I am a meat and potatoes land guy. So that's why it's, when I go back to the mainland, I want some other things to eat that maybe yeah. we can't get here. No, that's, that's a valid point. It makes no sense that I live here, but I live here I just think my it's, career. It's just funny when you bring up motorcycles and I'm like, you can't go more than 30 miles an hour anywhere on this island. Unless you, <laughs> unless you get past Stock Island. No. Yeah. I, well, it was funny. I remember buy, I bought my car 
down here in Key West. And I, when I finally, like probably six to eight months into owning it was the first time that I took it up to Miami. And I remember that first stretch that you can go like 55 miles an hour. And I'm like, this is the fastest my car's ever gone. Right. It seems like so, the space Yeah. We're about to find out how many horsepowers this thing has. I'm a white knuckled <laughs> old lady on the Florida Turnpike. I oh, really God, am. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm doing 70 miles an hour going, this is amazing. I can't believe I'm going this fast. Yeah. Well, I definitely don't miss interstates, that's for sure. No. So, well, Jeff, I appreciate you taking the time to meet with me today. Absolutely. I'm so happy and flattered. Thank you for having me. You know, I love the, the podcast and, and sharing these stories about people. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that as time goes on, we'll uh, you need to start recording more of your stories so that we have oh, some I've new material. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we are definitely... Uh, we are in the prime location for picking up material. Every day there's something <laughs> new that I could write a chapter about. Yes. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate it, Jeff. And um, if anybody wants to check out Jeff Harris, you play not only Irish Kevin's, but you're also over at Rick's. At Rick's. My website is Key West Cowboy. Mm -hmm. My book is um, So You Think This Looks Easy, Tales of a Troubadour. It's available on my website or it's available on Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, just Google Key West Cowboy, you'll find me. Awesome. Well, Jeff, thank you again. And to everybody out there listening, thank you for staying tuned.